Welcome to a very important extra episode of BR Football Ranks. Regular listeners will know that we don't often drop on a Tuesday and we'll be back to regular programming tomorrow with our Premier League show. But today, BR Football has released a discussion that we thought was important to share with the rank squad given the statements and commitments we made a few weeks back to continuing to do our part in driving racism from football and society. It features our friends, our colleagues and some of our heroes as well, talking about racism and the Black Lives Matter movement in relation to football and beyond. Hosted by Kate Abdo, the conversation features the USMNT and Schalke's Weston McKenney, World Cup winning USWNT star Crystal Dunn, and former players and BR broadcasters Tim Howard and Moedu talking about the experiences they've had in the game and further afield. So without further ado, over to Kate. Okay, welcome along everybody. Um, listen, we are putting this together at a time that there have been days of marches across the world in response to the death of, of George Floyd, at a time when a spotlight has really been shone upon racism, discrimination, and at a time when large sections of society are really now waking up to the injustices that the black community faces. Uh, to me, it feels like there's a real push and an opportunity here to create change in the world so that we all move in. And, and our world personally, of course, is football. Um, football is the most global, most multicultural sport that exists. All of us who love football have definitely heard the talk about the power of the game to unite. Unfortunately, what we've also seen and lived is its absolute failure to do that at times. We see racism in the stands, a lack of leadership and support in those moments, uh, an insufficient reaction from governing bodies as well, a lack of representation in boardrooms and coaching and media. And, and the list really does go on. Um, what we want to do here today is discuss the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole and then also as it pertains to football um, and also how we can take that momentum and hopefully create change in the game that, that we all really love. Uh, we've got a really interesting group of people together to share their insight. We've got players that have played or are playing the game at the very highest level. Uh, we've got one specifically who can't let the game go. Tim Howard, we've also got Moadu, Weston McKenney, Crystal Dunn. It, it is so good to see you all. Um, it was almost, what, three weeks ago, I think now, that, that George Floyd was killed. I imagine that we've all shared a similar range of emotions as we saw that video and we watched George Floyd uh, die, handcuffed, helpless, calling out for mercy, calling out for his mother. Uh, Tim, what did that scene bring up in you and, and what are the range of emotions that you've been through since? Well, like, um, like everybody, I've felt anger and rage and um, sadness, uh, frustration. Look, I, I think that I think that uh, where, where we are as a nation and where we are as a world at the moment has been coming and it's and it's been coming for far too long. This this is a uh, a pivotal point for us. Black men have been have have been uh, killed and assassinated by police for for far too long. Not not just three weeks. It's happened time and time and time. Swept under the carpet and there's been an awakening amongst uh, not just people in Minneapolis but um, the entire nation and we, we look across the world, the entire world. And so, um, you know, my emotions have, as I said, I've shed tears. I've had deep conversations with my own children, um, which is a very sad but real thing, you know, that uh, my, my children are mixed race and they have to act differently uh, when it comes to police until we can figure out a way to uh, get the police to respond in the way that uh, that we would like. And so it's been a difficult three weeks. Mo, that's a similar scenario for you. You recently became a father. You're a father of a son and a young boy who will grow up and potentially have to deal with these injustices that we're seeing the black community face in America. Have you thought about that, about those conversations that you will potentially have to have with him? And, and how have you been processing this time in general? Yeah, and I think becoming a new father has, you know, made this situation that much more uh, daunting at times because obviously we've, I've experienced this myself, uh, racism in America, racism in Europe actually as well. Um, and just the, the whole dilemma or the whole situation of being both black and American, you take so much pride in being American, but before that you're 
that. And to your fellow Americans, you know, white Americans, they see you as black. So yeah, I've, I've been going with this conversation in my head of what can I do? How can I be more active to try to change things, try to create a better world for when he becomes of age and he has to face similar situations where he's potentially being put over by the police or his interactions with, with the world in general and what that's going to be. And it's uh, the George Floyd situation has obviously brought a lot more awareness to the situation that we have lived through our entire lives. This has been a problem that we've all had to deal with since we were born, something that we can't escape from, uh, something that we need to face head on. And, and there's no strategy. And I think people, the rest of the country, the rest of the world are finally starting to take a little bit more notice to it. My my hope for this is that it isn't a situation that is just for the moment, because this isn't George Floyd isn't the first one that's been targeted by police. And the victim of social uh, systemic injustice in this country. There have been a number of other examples that when they, when it happens, um, there's an uproar, there's protest, even some action. Maybe there's questions asked of the government, um, of people in power. But then as goes on, Black people are slight. Maybe some others align with us. But for the most part, it's Black people leading that charge. And the rest of the world gets to go back to operating status quo, which for them, okay, um, for us, that's an always it's always been an uphill battle and it's continuing to be an uphill battle so right now it's it's good to see that more people are taking notice to it but this is a struggle and a fight that we've been experiencing our whole lives right it's been a long time crystal as mo says the image of an, an african-american man being subjected to police brutality here in america is not a new image as a woman how do those images hit you and what's your emotional spectrum there? yeah i mean george floyd was obviously a black man but you know i have a father i have a brother i have friends so it, it hit it hard just seeing a black man die the way he did and again like like tim and mo stated it's not the first you know hopefully it will be the last but we don't know that for sure but the last thing we can do right now is only live in this moment and think it's going to handle and take care of itself i think um this is not just a black community issue i do think we need everybody it can't just be the black community outraged it has to be everyone who wasn't even affected or who didn't even know about this issue has to now uh band together and become an ally um so i do think we're in a really important part of history right now knowing that so many people have been uh woken to this this helpless innocent man that just died at the hands of the police but i hope that it sparks change i hope that it um allows people to become more aware of the oppression that black people face and i think it just starts with being educated and wanting to be educated and uh you know like i said i think we need everybody and that's the only way we're going to move forward and we have to use this momentum and and allow it to carry us in the right direction absolutely uh, weston that was obviously something that you wanted to do you made a very public reaction to George Floyd's death. You did that on a very big stage, which I really loved. Uh, so in the first game played after George Floyd had been killed, you wore the armband saying justice for George Floyd. Uh, what went through your mind up to that point and, and what were you feeling during the game? No, I mean, obviously there's there's things you have to think about uh, in situations like Colin Kaepernick uh, he, he voiced up and, and here they make it a big deal that you can't make political statements. Um, and in my eyes, I'm thinking, how can you see racial abuse and, and social injustice as a political statement? You know, uh, I have referees, I have people tell me you have to take off the armband, you have to take off the armband. And it just ran through my mind, you know, you can't just say no, you can't just say, okay, I'm just going to take it off because that's that, that wouldn't be fair to, to the people that are back in America, back home for the people, you know, our ancestors, our, our 
heritage that stood up and fought for what they believe in, that stood for what was right. And for me, I, I, I knew I wanted to do it. And I knew, you know, I, I have social media, everyone has social media and, and I could use that platform as well, but why not use the biggest platform that I have, the biggest opportunity I have to bring awareness, not, not just, just like Crystal said, not just, not just a black community problem. It's not just an American, not just the United States problem. It's a global problem. Mo said it as well, you know, you experience racial abuse in America and in Europe. I've experienced both as well. And and I wanted to bring that to the light of Europe and many more people. And as you saw, I wore it one day, Marco Tirom took a knee, Sancho wore it. He has a, a bigger outreach of community Then it became big in England. He was able to reach it, make it more aware and everything. So that was kind of my my sight of it, just to be able to bring awareness to Europe because it's it's not, it's not just going to be solved in America because obviously it's, it's shown in the past that it hasn't worked whenever it's only, you know, whenever Americans just try to solve it, it hasn't worked. So I think right now, like Crystal said, big momentum, a big opportunity for us to actually make something happen, for us to actually find a solution, for us to find a change. And it'll take a, a, a global stand to, to do that. And I think the fact that that first week, there were players with your profile and, and like you said, Jaden Sancho and Hakimi and others that that chose to make that stand very publicly at a time where it was still difficult to make those choices, to make that stand, because you didn't have the support of the Bundesliga, then put them in a position that they felt that they needed, they were morally obligated to come out and, and give support uh, to you guys doing that. Uh, we've now you know, seen a lot of support for the cause for the Black Lives Matter movement around Europe. We've seen protests all over, um, you know, all over Germany, you've seen them in Berlin, you've seen them in Amsterdam, you've seen them all over the world. Um, there have been so many cases like this in America before, but it's never had this kind of international reaction. Tim, why do you feel like this one hit different? Well, let me say good on you, Weston. I think that um, anytime there is uh, there is massive change in movements throughout the generation, uh, it's the people fighting for justice who are, who are called the rebels and, and, and they were looked down upon. So, um, you know, the fact that you had enough uh, pride and enough courage to stand up to that, um, you know, I applaud you for that. I think, you know, absolutely. I, I think... That's what excites me, Kate, about this. Excites not a good word to use. Uh, gives me hope is that this isn't just black people in the street. This is white people. This is brown people, black people, uh, lesbian, gay, trans, bi. This is everybody. This is everybody's problem. And that's why the first time in my life, uh, I, I, I've seen this, this movement so widespread in 1990, early in the 90s and Rodney King and LA riots. That was, that was local to LA. We all watched it on TV, but that had nothing to do with the rest of the world. Um, the rest of the world has taken notice. This isn't just in, in Minnesota. And my, my hope is, and we've talked about on our show, Kate and Mo, about racism in, in Europe and, and the, the silly stupidity of their stance that when you're racially abused, you have to stay on the field and play. And when a player recently was abused, his own teammates were, were, were ushering him back onto the field to play. Um, that, that blows my mind. And I've always stood behind the fact that um, as players – as humans, if we feel racially abused in our setting, in our arena, we have an obligation and a right to ourselves to walk off the field and to not feel like we should be treated that way. And everybody else in the right mind should follow suit. And I feel like right now, you asked the question about, well, I think enough's enough. I think people have just, just had enough. We've, we've been dealing with a global pandemic. Um, everybody's fed up and then this happens. And this just became the tipping point. And I think people realize that, uh, that, that life is precious and society needed to step up. And it's been, uh, it, it's given me hope that, that this has sustainability and momentum. Because quite frankly, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll finish the point on this, this ebbs and flows. People take notice and then all of a sudden, it calms down and we say, oh, race, race relations are fine. No, it's not. Black men are still getting killed by police. Just we don't hear about them as much. And then something spikes and then it takes off again. This conversation needs to stay in the forefront 
of U.S. soccer, of CONCACAF, of FIFA, of UEFA. It needs to always be talked about and it needs to always be pushed forward. So we keep kind of coming back to that point of, of this needing to be a consistent conversation and also the fact that it needs to not just be a black movement, it needs to be everybody coming together to push for this same agenda. So that first match day you played, Western after George Floyd had been killed. There was you, there was J.D. Sancho, there was a small group of people, Marcus Taram as well, Hakimi, as you said. But but then it, it took another week for the other teams to really get behind it and for teams in unison to get behind it. So then the week later, Schalke, the whole team, took the knee with you before before the next game was played. Did you feel empowered by that? Or did, was there a part of you that kind of had a sense, well, why did it take two weeks? My, my thing, obviously, there's always been thinking like better, better late than never. And obviously, it would have been amazing to have the support right away. Uh, but to show that they, they did it, to show that they came out, obviously, there's parts of me that think, well, did they just do it because they felt obligated to do it? Just so they didn't look bad in the, in the light. Because at the same time, the league isn't, isn't going to risk their reputation, you know, finding me, suspending Sancho, suspending Hakimi, Marco Tulam, and then they get, you know, also abused by, by the people like, why are you finding them for, you know, preaching something that you and FIFA have been preaching or trying to preach for years now? Um, you know, they, they hold campaigns, say no to racism and racism. And that's why when I thought about wearing the armband, I, I didn't see a problem with it because it was technically the, the same idea behind what they've been preaching. And, and it made me mad at first because it felt like when they told me to take the armband off, when they told me to that I couldn't wear it, it was like they... They wanted me to support their campaign when they felt it was right for them and not when it was right moment for, for, for everyone. You know, it's been going on for, for way too long. And, and it's just like Tim Howard said, like, I don't also agree, you know, when, when players get racially abused and, and people try to make them stay on the field because it's essentially doing what's been, it's essentially agreeing with the, the, the whole thing that's been going on. If I'm being called a monk, if I'm being called, you know, the N-word or, or something like I shouldn't feel obligated to stay in the game. If I want to leave, then then I can leave because it essentially by me staying is ignoring the situation, is, you know, brushing it under the rug. And, you know, I, I saw something Raheem Sterling had said, there, there's probably about 500 uh, black people that play in the, in the Premier League. Now, if you take 500 black players and they're racially abused and they stay on the field, they're not going to change anything. They're just going to be like, oh, OK, well, they're still playing. Now, if you take those same 500 black people and, and they walk off the field, you'd be damn right that they're going to change something. They're, they're, they're going to have to make a change because it's something that's been going on for way too long. It's something that's, you know, this was the tipping point. This was something that, that was the last straw of the whole situation. I think for me, the issue with that scenario is that it, it shouldn't be left up to the players and it certainly shouldn't be left up to the player that is being racially abused on the pitch in that moment in time because it's not a fair decision to put on them. I think that football is a team sport and a team that is led by a manager or a coach. And, and, and that's the person that I would like to see make a decision and make a decision to walk his entire team off. Because we either stand here together or, or not at all. Um, and so that would be what something that I would like to see change in the game. Yeah, and, and Kate, you know, I, I agree with that. Uh, well, I agree with both sides. I, I think that like Tim and Weston both said, if I'm being racially abused and I start walking the pitch and my teammates are trying to hold me back, I'm, I immediately have an issue. You know, the, the issue with racism, or one of the issues with racism is that it, it promotes more race. When I was refused in Europe, I didn't turn to my white team for support. And even if my white teammates were supporting me, I my inclination was to turn to my black team or to black people uh, around me. Because in my mind, those are the people who could sympathize with my struggle. They could genuinely and under they could fully understand what I had just been through. Right? What that abuse feels like, what being in that situation where you feel isolated, lonely, uh, anger. There's so many emotions that run through you when you've been abused, right? And you want to react, but 
in that moment, you're also, you're, you're, you're torn. Because if you react, suddenly the image gets painted that, oh, he's the bad guy. You can look at this, the example of uh, Moise King when he was playing at Juventus and he was racially abused there. And in the post-game interview, they, they interviewed Bonucci. And Bonucci, instead of having support for his teammate, who was just abused by, by fans for no other reason than being born black, he says that maybe they wouldn't have they wouldn't have used uh, him the way that they did if he hadn't uh, provoked. So whatever he did, whatever his goal celebration was, that was enough to justify him being racial. So right now we're we're living through a pandemic, right? Uh, a global pandemic. But for black people, we've been living through a pandemic our whole life. Every day we wake up and I don't know what's next for you. you, you I mean, so many of these situations where black people are being killed for no reason, it's literally for no reason. There, you look at um, Blando Castile when he was killed. He, he, he told the police officer, hey, giving you a heads up, I have a gun. And we watch him get gunned down as he's saying, as he's telling him, I'm not reaching for my. So while the world is going through a global pandemic and world, and I, I, I'm, I'm also living through that, so I understand the struggle within that. We have our own internal struggle we go through on a daily basis of just being a black person. And it's, it's when you apply it to sports now, I commend, hey, Jay, uh, Weston, I, I have nothing but respect for what you did in that, in that moment. And my initial reaction was, that's what we need to see more. But to your point as well, Weston, I also was questioning, like, he wore an armband, right? His teammates saw him strip that band on, tape it on. Why did no one join? Uh, when Toron took a knee after he scored the goal, I think that's the easiest to easiest celebration there to show support. You take a knee right next to him. If all these moments that happened, uh, individuals, Weston, uh, Jaden Sancho, Hakimi, Marcus Toron, they were all individual. Moments. And I think David Burke, they drew a lot of attention. They brought more eyes to the situation. But can you imagine the impact that each of those situations would have had if their team would have supported them, if their coaches would have supported them from day one? And and I also agree with Weston in the sense that a part of encouraged because yes, I think it's good to see that more people are are starting to want to be educated, um, to, to to try to sympathize, to try to learn, to try to help the cause, to try to support and and you know eradicate racism within soccer, but more so. From standpoint but the reality is a part of me maybe it's being pessimistic a part of me does feel like in some of these scenarios you know it's more so the, the, for as long as i can remember it's been a minority fighting this cause a minority and talking about it right now it feels like the majority are in support of black lives matter and that movement so if you decide to be a big corporation and and not that you're supporting black people or dance of supporting your your team colleagues well then you look like the villain in this situation so i'm hopeful that yes Everything that's happening is genuine, and sustainable, and that we're going to make some real changes that like today, tomorrow, 20 years from now, which is when I would hope that some real changes happen. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'll just say that I'm hopeful for that because I, I want to erase this pessimistic, you know, thoughts from my mind and, and just believe that every action that's happening right now and all the outcries for of support are genuine people really trying to better humanity. I understand the point. I think it's definitely hard to judge and maybe we shouldn't try and judge whether certain actions are because of, of, of a sincere change of heart or a sincere moment of realization or whether it's more because of a social pressure to, to be on board with a movement that has really taken over. I think one of the things in my opinion that the coronavirus kind of did for us as a, as a world is it, it united us in a way that it gave us a, a common enemy, which is not something that we've had for a very long time. And it, it kind of put us all on pause, which just makes people susceptible to, to, to listening because we're all on halt. And so I think that it, it certainly kind of set the stage for us to all hopefully unite a, a against the pandemic of racism. Um, it's interesting, Mo, that you say you, you, know, you felt that the people that you needed to turn to and automatically turn to in the dressing room were your black teammates. Uh, how will this movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, be discussed in in dressing rooms and, and amongst teams. Is race in general an, an uncomfortable 
topic within the dressing room, Crystal? Um, for me, for a long time, yes. Um, I've been fortunate. My current club team has seven black girls. Praise you, thank the Lord, you know, because I do feel like when you are the only black person on the team, you don't have that support. You know, you can't lean on anybody. You have to find your support elsewhere, whether it's your family or friends on other teams. So, um, you know, recently my team actually, we got together and we had like a hardcore conversation and, you know, all the black players shared their story, shared their experiences. And I think it was so incredible the response that we got from our teammates and um i think that meeting also encouraged people to ask questions i don't think race needs to be a difficult discussion i want people to ask me how i feel or what i'm going through or um you know any challenge that i might face just based solely on my race um so i think i would like to change the whole uh, idea that race is a hard conversation because i do think that the more we can encourage people to reach out ask questions and want to be educated the better these conversations are going to be had and also the easier you know it's going to be just easy for you to ask somebody hey how are you feeling um i saw this the other day um and yeah i just think it starts with open dialogue just being as open as possible and, and educating people and, and just encouraging people because I want my teammates to also be my voice when I'm not around. If someone's saying something, uh, saying a racial undertone uh, towards me, but I'm not around to defend myself, I need my teammates to be able to be there to stand up and, and put out the fire. Because um, as Tim said, I think earlier, it was it, racism if you don't if you don't stop it right then and there that same person is just going to go off and and continue saying the same things and doing the same things without any consequences and i think that's what we're starting to see now you're seeing people losing their job for a tweet that uh has racial um undertones towards it and i and i just think it's incredible because for so long we brush these things under the rug and and let we let somebody else deal with it or we just say oh they didn't mean it you know and i think now you need to know that the pressure is on you and your job is on the line and that that type of language is unacceptable and we can't allow it to continue we can't allow those actions to continue and um like i said it's not a black community solely issue it's it's everybody i need white people black people brown people everybody to stand up for uh anyone who speaks these terrible derogatory words to anybody yeah I, I, let me jump in there kate I, I think i think what crystal's saying is right it's always the pink elephant in the room or in the dressing room and I, i'm a firm believer that non-communication non leads to miscommunication which leads to misunderstanding and so when you don't speak you don't know what the other person's feeling and and, and it kind of wears on you and i think that having these conversations you asked a question like this this call has been has been to all people. Like it used to just be like, nah, I'm not, I'm not racist. All right, cool. It, it's no longer that. We've called everybody out. George Floyd has called everybody out and, and basically said, listen, you may not be racist, cool. But if you hear someone else across the room say something with racial undertones, it's your job, it's your obligation to say, hold on, that's not okay. And that's kind of where this, this thing has started to gain momentum where now everybody's involved. Not just like, now nah, I'm cool, I got a few black friends, that means I'm not racist. Like that's been wiped under the carpet now, that's done. Like everybody needs to stand up and, and, and be accountable. And that's kind of what we're seeing with, well, we're seeing across America and I know certainly in Europe. And I think that's where, where it needs to be. All these leagues, what Mo was talking about, at this point, I don't care if someone's doing it because they're worried about the social impact of their club or if they're genuine, everything that leads the justice right now for me is a good yeah no i tim i i agree with that i think things that are happening right now it's powerful right but to see the amount of people that have been outspoken uh to all of to everyone's point the amount of people that are that have been engaging in conversations trying to listen trying to learn trying to open their their ears their uh their eyes their hearts to to trying to be sympathetic and understand what this 
actually feels like i think it's i agree with you that i do think that's been, um when you talk about what it's like the dynamic in a locker room and, and among your peers and your teammates and i think one of the big debates was if you're not being if you're not actively um, in opposition to racism does that make you complicit and i think look i think we all i'm not sure how many people are parents here but i'm a new parent and so a lot of thoughts crossed my mind about how i'm gonna raise my son and things that i want to teach him and you know people always like oh you want to be do you want him to play football play soccer and i'm like yeah of course but you know at the root of everything i want him to be a good person i want him to be a good person i want him to grow up with good core value basic thing you don't i don't want him to see race i want him to see race but i wanted to say embrace the beauty of being a, a mixed race kid um, and to to appreciate all cultures right and I think one thing that I would say in regards to the, what I expect of my colleagues, well, as I'm sitting here raising my son and I'm telling him about bullies and when he's in school, what am I, what am I coaching him and, and trying to ingrain in him? Well, I'm going to tell him if I see, if he sees a kid being bullied, he should stand up for him. Well, in this scenario, the black people, us as black people, we are the victim in that situation and we need people, whether it's white people, whether it's other minorities, we need you guys to stand alongside us and maybe sometimes one of us, um, white especially because they tend to be people who are in a position of power who can actually move this needle forward and help us really progress this thing and make some real some real tangible as well as sustainable changes. So I, I use that analogy because I think and that's I think it's a perfect analogy. I think everyone would say I'm like, I would tell my kid to stand up against a yeah, help that person, help the victim who's who can't defend themselves. Well look, we've been trying to defend ourselves. We've been trying to fight. We've made minuscule progress, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, we're we're in twenty twenty and we're witnessing people, we're witnessing black people be killed by police, the people who are who are uh, uh, who who work to serve who serve and protect us, right? The people that we actually are supposed to call when we need help. When we're being victimized and we feel under threat, we're supposed to call them to help. And we're watching them. We're watching a young or we're watching a man have his life taken by so that would be my that's my line of thinking when you, when you talk about what do I expect from my peers, my colleagues. Well, I think you have to practice what you preach. If you would tell other people to stand up against bullies, well, there's a big bully out there right now. We need we need help. It's interesting to me to hear you talk about what's expected of your peers, but also because I think there's a special expectation on you guys as, as athletes, right? And, and as people with a, with a following and influence. Um, I watched that Michael Jordan documentary recently, and I was really struck by criticism that he received because he chose not to be political. Meanwhile, not everybody is kind of built to speak on social issues, right? Uh, do you feel from your community a, a pressure as an athlete and somebody with a following and position to be a leading voice? and and how comfortable do you guys feel with that? Anybody? I mean, I'll, I'll I won't speak long on this, but I'll start first. I, I think everyone's different, right? And I don't I don't think even just looking at us five here, I don't think things from all five. Some people might be more outspoken and want to be on the front lines and be out there protesting, doing this, that. And kudos, I I do think that it'll contribute to helping this effort and this cause um, in your own way. So the expectations I don't think are going to be are going to be the exact same thing from every. Person. Um, but I think there are ways that everyone can still contribute and make a, make a meaningful impact to this situation. And responsibility from athletes, we have a platform, yes. And again, it's how, how that individual person should use that, that platform, they're following, whether it's by being more outspoken, by doing things behind the scenes, but still helping the cause. Yeah, I, I feel empowered. Look, I feel empowered to <clears throat> to help uh, certain causes that are dear to my heart and, that, and speak up. And, and obviously, race relations and civil rights is one of them. But um, I also don't. I also don't feel everybody is like you. In all of this, we can help in so many different ways. Like, it, like there's so many critics out there. If you post something on Instagram, they say it's not enough. You got to go to the front lines. Like, if you come at something with a with um, a passionate heart, with with an empathetic heart, then you're doing the right thing. And I and I just 
what I what I suggest even my own players is if you're going to take a stand on something, make sure you've thought it out, thought out why you're doing it. You're not just doing it, just go with the flow. But it, like you can support a teammate who's kneeling for a national anthem. You don't want to kneel for a national anthem. You can still support them if you don't want to do it. You, you do it in your own ways. And I think that's the only criticism I would have of certain athletes. They come out and do things and they're called on it, which will naturally be called on it by the media and other people. They don't really understand exactly why they're doing it. And so I just I just tell them to come at it with, with the right passion, right heart. Yeah, I agree. I think there's so many ways that you can contribute. Um, not everybody has to rush straight to, to Twitter and tweet something. Um, personally, for me, I've been seeing a lot of people tweeting, go vote, make sure you vote. And that's great because I think voting is going to help so much, especially on the micro level. But for me, I had to do my research and make sure that I knew not to just post, go vote, but dig more, dig deeper into the situation and, and, and really research voter suppression and why voting has been an issue in a lot of black communities. So I think for me, it's also me getting more educated on the system because there's so, so many pieces. It's so complex. You can't solve everything. There's so many issues going on that I think it's actually better for you to be vocal if that's you know true to your character and also pick something that you feel like you want to contribute to and put some energy uh towards that place because you can't you can't fix everything you can't solve everything so um just dig deep into a, a, a an area that speaks to you and try and get involved and, and do the best you can because it's it's such a big issue that we need everybody to uh disperse and kind of uh, put their efforts in every single area. It's so saddening to me, Weston, that you could be put in a position where you want to make a stand on, on a cause like Black Lives Matters and, and George Floyd, and, and you get put in that position where you have to make a choice and a choice to do something that other people are uncomfortable with. When in a scenario where you would very much hope that you would have their support, we all saw, you mentioned Colin Kaepernick, right? We all saw what happened to his career professionally. Uh, how daunting is it, do you think, for a black athlete to make a choice to protest the system? And, and what are the fears that, that come with that, you know, sponsorship, other ideas? Yeah, I mean, in this world now, I mean, we're in 2020. I mean, you would expect this to be a common battle between everyone. Uh, you know, my, my thought process, you know, being black and, and making a stand for it, I, I understood the consequences. I completely understood them. But I'm thinking, how is it? How is it fair? You know, Colin Kaepernick took a stand, and 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 they turned the the media turned on him completely. You know, turned it into something completely different from for what he was fighting for. Um, and I think for, for me, I look at it like I love it when when people come to me and and tell me, you know, be quiet, just play soccer, do this, do that. You know, you're an athlete, and in my eyes, I love when they come to me with that because I respond with, I'm an athlete, yeah, but I'm a human first. You know, I'm 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 only human. Uh, I could say the same thing to you. I could say, go, you know write the papers or, or go, uh, you know, deliver stuff or whatever, and, and you don't have a, uh, an opinion. What do you think I deliver? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but, but you know, I, I, just, I think that in today's society, it's, it's hard, and, and, and you have to understand the risk, and you, you have to, like, like Crystal said, you have to stay true to yourself, and, and if it's something that you really agree with, something that you really want to stand up for, something that you truly believe in, then, and all in all, you're ready to face the consequences. You're, you're okay with accepting the consequences. And in that moment, I was ready to accept them because you have to sacrifice something. You know, everyone has to sacrifice something whenever they, they take a stand for what they want, whenever they want to, you know, even if they're doing a job that they want to do, you have to sacrifice something. And that was something I was willing to sacrifice. And, and I think many people are willing to sacrifice as well. I mean, at least I think. But look, I think the other side of, of tragedy is triumph. And, and you look at the risk that Weston took as an example and other players, like the reward, the reward is going to be beautiful. I mean, you take a system like Germany, as he said, shut up, don't say anything political, keep quiet. And he took a stand. And now these, these German institutions are now forced, whether they like it or not, whether they agree with it or not, are forced now to make rule and law changes, which 
it, it took maybe took a week, but down the road, this is going to be, you know, can we, we and Weston and Crystal are still playing, can make a change to where now you're not having to stay on the field if you get racially abused. Now the sanctions are so much higher and so much greater, and that and that's down to, to a, a few players, and that's pretty special and powerful. That is really powerful. I think what's also really powerful is, I don't know if you guys saw the image of um, Jesse Marsh standing on the sideline with an armband as well. And, and whilst it's fantastic to see players who have a huge following and influence, I think it's also really important to see somebody in a position of leadership. You know, you think about him, he's a white man, he's a, a leader of his team, he is a leader of young black men who play under his management and, and to see him do that and set that tone, that really moved me. What would that mean to you as a player, Mo? As a player, I mean, that's 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 important. You want to feel, you, you always want to, so I'll just speak to my, my specific instance, you want to feel support, right? And if you feel support from one of the higher highest positions within your club, which is your manager, the person that you guide you on the pitch and, you know, coaches your team and is supposed to be tasked with keeping the team all on the same page and making sure you support these players, well, that's the first step when your players both on and off the pitch. If you feel that support on the pitch, but then off the pitch at the disconnect, that's a hard one. It's hard for me to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leave everything out there for a coach that doesn't really care for what's happening to me as a person. So having that kind of support, I think it goes a long way knowing that he's taking that stance in some ways. He might even, he might even be putting himself in a, a position to come under fire because the people above him, you know, might not have that same sentiment and that same way of thinking. So by Doing that, I think it's it's brave on his part, but it's in some ways it's a necessity for his players to feel comfortable that they can go out there and and be like West, be like Weston in the sense that they're gonna say, you know what? Okay, cool. Our manager in that stance, that's giving me that confidence because sometimes players need that reassurance, right? And the reality is some players wanna be more outspoken, but they they fear being blackballed. They feel be they fear being outcasted and and not having opportunity. So when your manager takes that position, it gives you that confidence that you can go out there and fully express yourself however you feel necessary. I think it was Tim who said that, you know, the Bundesliga has now seen themselves backed into a corner almost where they then had to act and they had to show public support because there was such a, a, a swell of public outcry. Um, the U.S. Soccer Federation, I think, find themselves in a, in a similar position. They voted this week to remove their policy that all players have to stand for the national anthem. Uh, that was a policy that had been introduced after Megan Rapinoe had taken a knee in, in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick and his movement. Um, they initially, in reaction to that, chose to try and, and quash and punish those protests. Um, how do you feel about them now repealing? that policy, Weston? Um, for, for me, I, I, think it, I think it's a necessity also. You know, people should have the right to peacefully protest. And, and, and Zach Steffen is uh, a person over here that, that a national team goalkeeper. And, and, you know, he said something along the line. He said, oh, dang, I think I forgot what he said right now. Oh, wow, that hit me. <laughs> No, but but uh, no. I mean, for, for me, I, I got a call from from a teammate. I won't say asking me, "Hey, would you would you take a knee um, at a game?" And it was back to the to the situation we were talking about. Everyone has their own way of showing support. Because uh, my teammate had told me, "I don't think I could do that. I don't think I, I you know could do that and would do that." But I mean, I support you in in what you decide. I support you know anything else. I support in, in which way I can. And you know, I think it's one of those things you can see the beauty in it and you cannot. I'm sitting there and pledging allegiance to, to a flag, to a country that I'm a citizen of, but at the same time, in moments, I don't feel a part of as well, you know? And why should I feel the need to stand and salute the flag and, and, and you know, support it if it doesn't support me, if it doesn't, you know, back me up in 
situations of need. If it doesn't back me, obviously it's, it's not a sense of disrespecting the flag and troops. My, my father served in the military and the Marine it has nothing to do with that. But you know, I want to feel that, that reassurance. I want to feel that protection. I want to feel that support, you know, and to be able to peacefully protest during a situation like this, during a time like this, I think sends a strong message as well. You know, doing what I did here already and, and what many have, have done, like you said, it put people in situations where they felt the need to act. And I think something like that can also put people in a situation to act. You know, a majority of the people that can um, change something are white. They're in places of power and it would back them up in a corner, I feel like, even more to find a solution, to find the change. I totally understand where you're coming from because I feel like for me, the flag represents a, it's, it stands for a group of people who united for freedom and, and taking a knee though was protesting the fact that not all are free in equal measure at these times. And, and, and as a people, the black community doesn't receive what that flag promises, right? Which is liberty and, and, and justice for all. As a family though, has that been a conversation that you guys have had to have with your father as a, a former military man? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with my dad um, about the whole situation and, and he, as a father should, he shows his support. You know, he backs me up 100% and, and I don't, he's never had a problem um, you know, with the situation of Colin Kaepernick. He didn't have a problem with that, you know, and, and I think he also supported it because when you're putting your life on the line and then coming back to be racially abused to, you know, my dad black and he's going to war. I mean, he, he's going to, to, to serve in the military. He's going to the Marine and training people. And then he's coming back to, to a country that doesn't accept them just for the color of his skin. And he's over there fighting for the very same white person to come back and not be accepted or equal and treated equally as him, you know, that, that, that right there shows a line of, you know, does his life matter as much as the guy next to him just because he's black and the other one's white, but yet they're risking the same thing, not being able to, to, to see their family for a long time or, or not being able to, you know, come back into, into a situation and, and feel welcome. Yeah. You know, I, look, I, I think with the, when it comes to the military, the people who argue in regards to the military have to remember that there were black soldiers coming back from World War II who fought for, the, for this country who then couldn't eat at the same diners or drink at the same water fountains or go to the same bathroom as everybody else. So for me, that military argument goes out the window, okay? Um, I, 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 I've always stood for the national anthem because the first time I, I ever heard the national anthem before a game, I was playing for the U.S. national team and I was young and I was in a, and I was in a foreign country and they booed and hissed and did all these things. So it filled me with immense pride. So that's why I stand for the, for the anthem. I respect all of my all of my teammates who have ever felt the need to kneel. Um, and and I also thought that U.S. soccer was wrong when when they put that out. I think a lot of the league uh, put that message out after Colin Kaepernick because they were deathly afraid of sponsorships and losses and what it looked like. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it was absolutely wrong. And I know Crystal, you were part of that team when um, you know when Megan took a knee, and I know how polarizing that that was at the time. Yeah, I mean. Uh... Megan Rapinoe is one of my really good friends. So to me, we've had countless conversations on, um, you know, racial injustice at that time. And we still do till this day, obviously. So I just remember our conversation in 2017, where she came up to me and said, Chris, I'm thinking of kneeling, you know, and I remember being, you know, just filled with so much joy for her wanting to fight a cause that in my opinion, at that time was like, you have nothing to do with this, you know, and that, you know, that's ignorant on my part, just thinking that off the bat. But I was like, so moved that she wanted to, you know, fight for this cause. And I also remember telling her that I have to stand, dude, because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared for my job. I'm scared that, you know, it's going to look differently if a black girl on the team kneels and I, I don't know. So I just remember having really hard conversations with her, how I was internally conflicted. And I saw the way uh, U.S. soccer responded and treated Megan. And to me, I'm thinking, you know, they, they kept her out of some games, kept her out of camps. And I was like, yes, that was bad. But to me, I was thinking they could rip up my contract. 
Um, so I thought I actually was going to probably get it worse. And, you know, I just remember telling her it, it hurts me to my core that I'm going to stand. But I always told her I'm supportive. And I, I still to this day, I'm happy U.S. soccer uh, repealed their statement. Um, it started with an apology. I think that's a step in the right direction because they truly did need to apologize, apologize first. That was first and foremost for the way they responded to uh, those protests because it was peaceful. Uh, Colin and Megan also countless times repeated that it was nothing about the flag, but yet they twisted the narrative. Same was the rest of the country in the NFL. Um, they wanted to put out what they wanted to say and that got pushed into the headlines and they were attacked. P Pino lost, you know, money obviously not coming into camps and, and you know, was told that she wasn't good enough. I mean, the, the amount of things that were spewed her way just to justify her not being called into camps was, was crazy, was outrageous. Um, so I truly, you know, till this day, am so thankful that I have a teammate like her to just not be afraid to stand up for what's right. And it's important that now we encourage everybody to do that. Um, no matter how hard, how isolated and lonely you may feel doing it, I think now we're in a, a really great time knowing that the support is coming, you know, and, and like uh, Weston said, it may take a week, but I do think now we are encouraging more people to feel comfortable speaking up and and again, it might be a white woman coming to my rescue and I'm going to be like, let's go. You're, you're in my corner. You're my ally. And it doesn't be a black friend it's leading the charges in all shapes, sizes, colors, everything. So I think we're in a really great place. And, and U.S. soccer making that statement uh, shows that change is coming. And I, I think it's long lasting, which is most important. I mean, they made the right decision, right, to repeal that policy, to, to issue an apology <laughs> to, to black players, to fans alike. Was that apology healing for you or do you think there is lasting damage that has been done to, to your relationship with the Federation, the way you feel you were viewed, or to, to those young girls coming up behind you who saw that all play out in public? Um, yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. You know, I think uh, there was hurt. There still is hurt. I think, um, you know, I haven't really caught up with Pino on her take really as of right now, how she feels uh, with U.S. soccer. But I do think, um, you know, she would agree that it's 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 the beginning of, of change. And that's really important. Um, I do think where we are right now is in an interesting time, but also a difficult time because silence can't be accepted anymore. Silence plays into the hands of the oppressor. So I do think that you cannot remain silent on an issue that has carried on for so long. And what it's going to do now is make people choose a side. Um, and you may get backlash for being on the side that uh, support equal opportunity, equality, and, uh, uh, and justice. And you might get backlash for supporting that, how crazy this world is. But it's better to be on that side than trying to stay neutral. I think neutrality right now is, is not okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, oh, I'm not a racist. I, you know, I'm my black friend. But are you standing up for those black friends? Are you uh, putting yourself on the line the way that your black friends probably would do for you? should someone say something derogatory to you. So I do think that silence is out the window. People have to choose a side. And I think U.S. soccer took that step uh, standing up for what truly does matter and what, what matters the most, which is justice for, for uh, Black inequalities that are, that are in this country. I mean, I think it's so important that we're seeing federations take a position of leadership in, in these kind of things. We, we have an issue in football, right? And an issue amongst fan bases for sure. You know, we've heard monkey chants, there's bananas, racial slurs. If you follow football, you know that this happens. Um, you might think it's not our team, not our fans, but it is our game, right? And it, and it happens across the board. Um, what we saw with George Floyd was a policeman who felt too comfortable 
that he would not face consequences for his actions. Do you feel that racists feel too comfortable in football stands that they won't face consequences for their actions? Well, look at the look at the sanctions. I mean, the sanctions equate to like a week's salary for for some footballers. You know, so if that's what you're finding a country or 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 a club team. Uh, they have no fear. There's, there's there's no concern from them whatsoever. They aren't really really being punished in any shape or form. Um, and it's almost like enabling them because it's 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 almost like your mom says, "Hey, don't go downstairs or you're gonna get in trouble." And you go downstairs anyway. And then all she does is like say, "Hey, go on timeout for ten minutes." You're like, "Oh, that's it. All right, I'll keep pushing that button." keep doing it because I enjoy doing it and there's no real consequence. If the people, we, we've all kind of addressed the fact that people who are in positions of power and able to really change, make changes are white people, right? So if they decide, if FIFA were to come out, like we talk about things specifically, if they were to come out, sanction some of these clubs with some meaningful um, consequences and punishments, I think you might see some change. If they were to come out and say, hey, you know what? Um, you're just spending for a year from, from European competition. Whoa, hold on. So that's what the consequences are. So you got to be taking racism pretty seriously. A year of not being champion, champion league, that's, that's a lot of money that we're missing out on. Okay, um, we're going to go ahead and police our, our state and we're going to take this a little bit more serious. The fans might decide to start policing themselves more seriously because of course they want to see their teams in the top competition. They don't want to see their teams being hindered or sanctioned in any kind of way that can really affect it. $20,000 fine, I'm sorry, is not going to hurt a club at, in, a, in the top rate. 100 grand fine is not going to really move that envelope either. So until we start seeing sanctions that really match the crime, what do you expect from the, from the people that are out there committing uh, these crimes? Basically? Simply, simply put, simply put, the, the, it's, it's too lean. It's too lean. And the next step for all of us is the reason why you protest, the reason why you shout is so you can get people's attention. Now that we have people's attention, the next step is to make sure that one, they're putting language in that allows us to peacefully protest, but we're not peacefully, peacefully protesting for the sake of taking a knee because we feel like rest. It's to, it's to engage in conversation and change this type of narrative so that we can begin talking to these leagues and get them to understand $20,000 fine ain't working. It needs to be still. So right now, FIFA has a, a, a three-step protocol in terms of how they deal with these, these issues, right? The first off, you have a message which is played over the PA asking fans to please behave and warning them that there could potentially be consequences. Then you have second step, the referee takes the team's off the pitch for a period of time, or that's what should be the second step. And then the third is he has the choice to to abandon the game. Does it feel too tolerant and should it just be an immediate decision? This is classed as a loss or, or a game abandoned? 100%. Like Tim just said, the best way to put it is too lenient. You have three chances. So, so you can, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance and I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout monkey at Weston or any of us on this panel here. All right, I know I got a warning, cool. All right, now it's the thing in the state. You know what, I'm gonna do it again. At that point you can decide, uh, I'll go ahead and play with fire and do it a third. Like it's just, that's a joke, honestly. Joke, you're giving you're giving chances if you're if you come out with campaigns that say let's kick racism out of football and be serious about that kicking racism out of football doesn't mean you're going to keep giving warnings what's a warning do a slap on the wrist is nothing you're just you're like i said you're enabling them because they know that they have three strikes to get away with it before they have a punishment and even that punishment isn't okay how about this one how about this one when when i was in the premier league they had to kick racism out of out of football and we didn't wear the t-shirts and all the teams wore a t-shirt and i had i had three black teammates that said, we're not wearing those t-shirts because FIFA's not serious. And we didn't wear the t-shirts because they were like, we're wearing the t-shirts to promote kicking racism out of football, but they're not kicking racism out of football. So they want to look good and make it seem really cute, but there's no sanctions. You get three chances to call someone a racial slur. And, and, and if, if it really kicks off, you get a $20,000 fine. So we never wore the t-shirt. Do you think that those people in, in places of leadership, UEFA, FIFA, et cetera, uh, governing bodies, have they come to a point where in the, they're in this kind of false sense of comfort almost, where they look at things and say, oh, well, maybe it's better here than there. 
or it's better than it used to be. And, and so there's almost this kind of sense that we should be happy with the racism we have because you know this is better than it once was. But actually, there is no better kind of racism, right? Yeah, the 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 audacity of that statement, like at least at least it's not as bad as it used to, or at least it's not as bad as it is over there in Eastern Europe. Like what? At least it's not as bad. If the word bad is in that sentence, then you got a problem. You got a problem that you need to seriously address. And the, the fact that you know, I'd be I'd be curious to see how many black people were in those conversations when they're when they're writing up this this legislation, when they're having these conversations about how should we go about um, when the kick the kick uh, kick racism out of football campaign is developed. I want to know how many black people are sitting at that table saying like, hey, these are these are the thoughts of our what we think. We're the one. A lot of us are the ones that are experiencing this. We're the ones that are having bananas being or monkey noise being. Um, chanted at us and then being told not to walk off the pitch because that looks like we're abandoning our teammates and not showing support for our team. So I'd be curious to know how many of, how many of us, how many representatives of us are at that table saying like, this ain't good enough. I'd, I'd be damned if, if you told me that there was, there were any, I, I'm, let me not speak out of turn, but I'd be if you said that there were, there were people of color at that table and they were saying, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, give them, give them three strikes. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things, like you said earlier, they won't know until they walk in our shoes and they won't see the toll it takes on, on players until they walk in our shoes. Um, I had also an incident here that was, you know, I mean, it was a smaller team, but it was well seen and well heard by many, many people. You know, a guy calling me a shit ape and making monkey noises at me after a game. Uh, and it, it's just, it's, it's like, like I said before, if 500 players walk off the field versus 500 players who stay, I think they would change something, but but they have to know that when they walk off that there's actually gonna be a change, you know, that, that something's gonna happen, that, that people, are gonna be listening, that people are gonna be punished for it. You know, like you said, a, a 10,000, 100,000, a million thousand dollar fine isn't, isn't gonna suffice, isn't gonna get the job done, so. So here's the thing, right? There is overt racism, which we have an issue with. And then there's also, I don't know what to call it, but for lack of a better word, like a passive type of racism, right? And I read a post of yours on Instagram, Crystal, which I thought was really interesting. And one of the areas that you focused in on was creating new narratives around black athletes in general, because there is a language that is used around black players that comes from whether it's a conscious or a subconscious prejudice. How do you feel that that has affected you? Yeah, I mean, I've had so many conversations now with, uh, I have a lot of friends that are commentators now and they, you know, reached out to me like, hey, Chris, let's get on a call and let's, you know, let's talk about what you posted. And um, I just think that that spoke like a lot to me and it was a really strong uh, part of me and how I felt because I think for so long black athletes are obviously, you know, always told, hey, you're athletic, you're fast, uh, you know, you're powerful. And we can be all those things, but we're not just a body, we're not just a specimen. And I think that that is actually how we're viewed in society. We're viewed as a threat, we're viewed as aggressive, strong. And that's why we get the cops called on us for no reason. Just, you know, walking down the street, it, it, it threatens people for some strange reason. And um, in my own world that I'm trying to help change is is really focusing on changing the narratives of black athletes. Because I know for my for my profession and my my career, I've always thought of myself as, you know, quite technical, quite tech understanding the game. And I think a lot how people describe me is still, oh, she's fast, she's quick, she she beats defenders because of her speed. And I'm like, actually, I did about eight moves, you know, did a little swoopy here and there, but you're still focusing on my on my speed. And I just think, um, you know, I reached out to coaches because I want to have that conversation with coaches. How are you um, instilling messages to your young black athletes? How do you help them grow actually into a, a well-rounded player versus just focusing on 
their speed and just saying, hey, you're going to be a wide player because I just want you doing this, 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 and that's all you're going to do. Um, so I've had really great conversations with people ever since I, I made that post. And I think that what I wanted to get out of it was really opening that dialogue and having those conversations with people because um, it was an attack on, on commentators. I spoke to Julie Foudy. I spoke to uh, Jordan and Angeli about it, and, and they were so uh, receptive of my message because it's not an attack. Obviously, I don't think that they're bad people if they have, you know, said that a Black athlete is just fast and focusing only on that trait of that player, but it's just a way to raise awareness uh, and, and to just help change the narrative because I think the way people view us in sports directly translates to how they view us in the streets, walking down the block, uh, you know, just our stature, our the color of our skin just poses a threat. And I just feel like if I can help change how we are viewed in sports, then, um, you know, that's where I want to put my energy and, and try and be a big help. And and furthermore, to that point, Kate, uh, Crystal, I thought it very eloquent the way you expressed that. It not only translates from the playing field to how we're viewed in society, it translates to the boardroom and it translates to the executive level and it translates to the lack of black coaches we see across the board. Well, have any of you ever had a black a black coach in your soccer journeys? Uh, I had one. At the UDQ. Yeah. My dad. <laughs> <laughs> but as an, an African-American child growing up in the game and wanting to make a way in the game, is there a thought that that enforces within you? Well, I, look, I think I think it's not just the coaches. It's it's kids in the in where I live in Memphis. We're the second largest black uh, community in all of America. Kids want to be what they see. Kids don't see black players. Go to a U.S. national team game. Go to an MLS game. That's not a criticism of them. Count the amount of black faces you can see. I have a picture in my room of my beloved Everton, and I'm making this crazy, amazing save, and there's thousands of people in the background, all wearing blue. There's not one black person in the picture, and I tell you, I've looked at it 50,000 times. The point is, young black children want to be what they see, and they don't see enough black faces on the field, in the stands, or on the side. Hey, I'll give you an example, just to go on uh, off of what Tim just said, because I think I agree with that 100%. You know, me being on this side of the of things now being in the media world. I, when I was a kid, I don't think I dreamt of being um, a broadcaster, calling games, doing analyst work. Uh, if anything, the TV side of it, I, I was I was thinking I was going to be a movie star or actor, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. And hey, I still might. But anyway, I, I, I've come into this role now and, and I enjoy it. I love it. I'm passionate about it. But I also recognize that I'm in a position where I can give back to the game, right? Because when I grew up, I didn't, I didn't voices that sounded like mine calling games. I didn't see anybody that looked like me calling games. Um, so now my hope is that as we're trying to get, as we're trying to grow this game here and we're trying to encourage more kids to more minority kids black kids to, to play this sport i think i think by by and large a lot of kids like tim said they gravitate towards what you see and right now most kids in inner cities their biggest concern is like i want to stay alive first and foremost i want to i want to get my mom out of this i want to get my family out of this and what they see the most of is is other athletes in basketball or football so now you're going to gravitate towards that you see that as a way to make money and get your family out of that situation me in this role now i'm like you know what Maybe if a kid is just flicking through channels and he hears my voice or he sees me in the way that I'm dressed, he's like, whoa, hold on. I can't, who's this, who's this black guy? What's he doing? This is soccer. What's he doing here? Like, but maybe he sees me and he's like, I can relate to that. I know we've gone super over the time that we said we were going to talk for. So I don't want to keep you guys forever. Just kind of a closing thought, closing ideas from, from all of you. Here's the great position that soccer finds itself in, right? The Bundesliga is back. La Liga is back. The Premier League, Serie A are going to be back next week. We've got millions of people worldwide desperate for live sports after the coronavirus. And soccer is one of the first ones to return. Football really has a stage here. What do you want to see it do with that stage? Um, I definitely see an opportunity here for, for football, first of all, to pave the way, you know, for other sports to also feel, you know, the need or the want to take a stand. Um, not, not, not only 
just because, you know, they feel like they have to, but because they want to, they have a, a, a way to be able to change the narrative, a way to be able to, to show and, and make it aware that it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. It's okay, you know, for, for you guys to come together, black, white, uh, brown, it's okay for you guys to, to support each other, you know? And I think with what's happening in the Bundesliga right now with everyone taking a knee before a game, it's also, you know, showing other sports as well and other communities like, hey, you know, they're doing this, they're making it more aware, they're wanting this and, and they're not being punished for it. It's okay that we, we can do it. It's okay that we can, you know, show what we believe in. Because I'm, I'm sure there's many people out there that want to use their platform, but are just afraid to use their platform. You know, there's many people out there that, that want to show, you know, what they believe in and, and, and how they see the bigger picture, but are afraid to accept the consequences, are afraid that they might not have a job the next day, or afraid that they might, you know, get fined and not be able to play or, or you know, they, they have something to lose as well. But I think the Bundesliga and football in general has the opportunity to, to pave the way to make it not something to be afraid of. Yeah, I agree. I think um, using this time to really build on the momentum is incredible. The NWSL is playing their Challenge Cup next month. The season's already gone. Um, and I think, you know, for us players, it's really about continuing this conversation. Like, don't let don't let this moment pass us by and, and just live in this moment thinking, you know, everything's good. We made some changes here, but um, thinking that we could take our foot off the gas right now. So um, I truly believe in those games. We're going to use, you know, that platform and that stage to really uh, promote that, you know, enough is enough. We're, we're not done talking about this. We're not uh, done fighting for these for these changes that need to be made. So um, I really think that we just got to continue working on and building on this momentum. It, it doesn't stop now. Um, it should never stop until there are no more deaths like George Floyd's death. And um, yeah, we just got to use this momentum and, and, and let the wave kind of carry us through because right now the worst thing that we can do is just think that it's all said and done and, and everything's going to take care of itself because it's not. So we just need everybody to uh, join the fight. Um, everybody can be a leader. Everybody can fight for this cause. And um, we just we need everybody. What's what's beautiful about uh, football is that it's a global game and it's a multicultural game and it unifies culture. So I think with that thinking, or in that as as Crystal just said and Weston attested to as well, we continue this momentum. We continue to to grow as people um, individually, collectively as well. It's I think we've all addressed it that it's not a black battle again. It's a collective battle against racism. I think the more that, that white people recognize that this is their battle too, um, that we'll, we will see more progress in that. And as other sports start to return, I, I hope they look at what's happened in Europe across the leagues, Bundesliga, MLS is getting ready to start, but and all, that they see all that that's happened within those sports. And they say, you know what, we're going to do even more. We're going to even, we're going to take that even a step further. And that all these protests, all these different things that are happening, that eventually they culminate into some kind of conversations that eventually lead to real change. Because protests that lead to nothing, protests that have no real backbone or have no structure or no focus, then it's all for naught, right? I think the main thing is that you have have kind of tangible goals that we're working towards. I know that there's different groups that are that are organizing now because they want to see real change. And it's important that that as we're protesting, as we're doing this to, to open ears, to, to not to knock on doors, um, that we're prepared that when those doors open, we're able to walk in and have that conversation or whatever, or maybe we have to kick down that door and force that conversation that we're ready to be articulate enough to say, this is what we want. This is how it needs to happen. And we, we can really come up with a plan that 
enact some kind of rhythm. Yeah, I mean, with football being back, we're the most multicultural and diverse sport in the world. Everybody watches what we do, and I, and I, I believe that we have the power at the moment, um, and it's sustainable uh, to make real change, not just not just change in the literature and in the words, but actual law change. Um, you know, and so I think that we, as long as this conversation continues to stay at the forefront. Um, for a long time and not just not just dissipate which i don't believe it will now uh, that we can make real real strong systemic change which takes time but i think we're ready to stay the course absolutely uh, guys it has been such an honor to hear your thoughts your experiences your feelings uh thank you for for being so honest and for sharing thank you for the way you represent uh we want to let you guys know that are listening that this is the first of many conversations like this would be our football it's not something we want to talk about this week because it's a hot topic and then we move on to live sports we want to be consistent with this uh, black lives matter is something we want to pledge our consistency to it and a subject that we want to give the, the time, the space, the platform that it deserves. Uh, so we really pray that this conversation is going to be a blessing to those of you who hear it. Thank you for listening in. Peace and love. Bye.